he hadn't said a word for the three hour flight, this man that was beside me. And as we were about to land, I'd say we were two minutes from landing, he just turns to me and goes, is it your first time in Seattle? I was like, yeah, it is. Oh, he yeah. goes, hold on. <laughs> I was like, why? And then the plane just comes to a, a very abrupt stop. bathing friends i am on hamilton and this is the hiker podcast this is the show where we discuss all things hiking walking through hiking camping and basically anything to do with exploring the great outdoors we also spotlight those individuals and organizations that inspire us and help us to all get outdoors safely one such individual that is doing amazing work in this space is brian fennell Brian is the Rural Recreation Officer for Leitrim Development Company. This company is essentially funded by the Government and the Tourism Board to help enhance outdoor recreation for the county. And if you've never heard of Leitrim, it's a beautiful little corner of Ireland up in the northwest of the country. I have a lot of family from there, so it holds a dear place in my heart. Having previously held a post in Wicklow for a number of years, Brian moved to lovely Leitrim a few years back to start fresh with a new project. And having spent time with Brian at a recent conference, I can tell you it doesn't sound like an easy job. But the way that Brian explains it and his knowledge of the role and the space makes you understand that it takes a certain type of person to do the job. But just before we jump into the interview, let's get a word in from our sponsors. This podcast is brought to you by Hiker. Hiker is the essential app for those wanting to get outdoors with confidence. Over 400,000 hikers have used this app to plan, map, and track their adventures to date. With Hiker, you can navigate on one of our 19,000 verified hiking trails that are constantly being updated using local information. You can plan your own route and track it completely offline while using the best local maps like Vernon Survey, Harvey Maps, OSI, USGS, Land Information New Zealand, TAS Maps, Get Lost, and many more. And Hiker is also the only hiking app to provide east-west maps. Fans of Barry Dalby's maps will now find the digital version of on Hiker as part of a Pro Plus subscription, which you can try for free by heading over to hiker.app forward slash purchases or just sign up using the app itself. The app is totally free to download, so head over to the App Store or Play Store now to get started. Now it's my pleasure to share my conversation with Brian Fennell. How are you? The, the, the tan seems to have faded away. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a great tan to begin with, but yeah, the, the beard makes sure the tan doesn't last too long. Um, How was the rest of your trip? I was good. Yeah, a, a great time. You guys missed out on a great walk on the Thursday. It was, um, it was I know. to walk around the island and get a real experience for what they were doing uh, in terms of trail development. Yeah, no, we were good. At, uh, I, I, I think it was even saying to you, I was, I was very tempted to reschedule my flight to come home and, and, and go another time but just the, the flights out of Skiathos going back to going back to Dublin it, w- it would have taken me a lot longer if I had moved it to another day it, even to the Friday morning it would have been Saturday morning by the time I was, I was home it was a weird kind of a schedule but anyway uh, I know yeah for, I, for I, I nearly missed my flight in Athens I got delayed from the sc- the flight from Skiatos to Athens wasn't delayed, but we landed and it took almost an hour for my bag to come out. And I had an hour and a half layover 
So, <laughs> and it was, it's a very big airport, uh, Athens Airport, and I've, I've never run so fast in my life. I was screaming at security and screaming at people. But I was very apologetic. And I eventually got to the, to the, to the gate to discover that the Ryanair flight was delayed by half an hour. I was like, Joke. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, and you, you on the way over, you were cutting a tight ish on the way over as well, because obviously we were sat beside each other. Mm. Uh, you collecting your or checking your bags in or something like that. It was a bit of a delay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was yeah. Again, very sketchy. Give myself more time. That's the that's that's the trick. So, Brian, do you want to introduce yourself to to the hiker podcast audience? Hi, yes, uh, my name is Brian Fennell. I am the Rural Recreation Officer for Leitrim Development Company. Um, and most people in this audience are probably thinking, what is a Rural Recreation Officer? Um, it doesn't mean that I sit around all day and enjoy recreation uh, in the countryside. It means that I support community groups and trail development organisations in making uh, trail infrastructure, uh, be it either walking or cycling or even canoe trails. Or access to the countryside, you know, negotiating with landowners to get access for public into the countryside. So in in Ireland, that is a, is probably one of the most uh, Swiss Army knife type jobs that you can get. To 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 be honest, like there's so many different things, and the story of how your, yourself and myself met, uh, we were. <coughs> Happened to be going attending a a trails festival, the or trails conference, the World Trails Network conference in Skiathos, and we were just talking about that beforehand. And uh, we happened to be sitting right beside each other. And I suppose two people on a flight from Ireland to Skiathos most likely are going at that time of the year. Most likely, we're going for the same reason. Um, and. Like I got introduced yourself, and you gave me a bit of a background on what you do, and like maybe you'll share a bit of that now in the show. But uh, when you gave your talk at the conference, it really opened my eyes of like how much unmentionable you have to deal with. You know how many conversations you have to have, how many interested parties you have, uh, and all the different things. So, do, do you? Do you want to give a bit of a snapshot, an overview of some of the things that uh, an RRO needs to do? Yeah, it's it's kind of a job I kind of fell into um, by happen chance. I never knew about it before I, I took on the role. I, I like that. I was I would have probably been similar to yourself. I would have been fairly active in the outdoors, big into hill walking and kayaking, and basically doing things that my mother wouldn't like me seeing being done in the outdoors. Like you know, she'd be very nervous of watching me going rock climbing and throwing myself down waterfalls and all sorts of stuff. And um, the role came up in, in Wicklow at the time, uh, which is in, on the east coast of Ireland. And it's, it's probably that Wicklow is because is, it's proximity to Dublin. It's where a lot of people in Ireland, the big majority of Ireland, discover the outdoors or discover their love for nature. Um, it is, you know, it's, it's known, Wicklow is known as the Garden of Ireland. Um, and in my eyes, in a garden is where you where you learn to play as a child. And what's happened in, in Wicklow is it's basically where adults learn to play, um, you know, or rediscover play. So um, I fell into the role. It's it is a Swiss Army knife role. Uh, you need to be uh, almost like a UN ambassador. You have to negotiate with landowners for access. You have to keep um, as many public interests at, 
in play as, as much as often, be it community groups or local authorities, um, national parks, environmentalists. You have to, you have to, you're involved in trail design work, trail build work. You're involved with marketing. You're involved with promotion of, of your of your your trail. You're involved with um, the artwork and in terms in forms of designing uh, what what the map boards are going to look like. You're involved with. Uh, you're involved in peace talks between neighbouring landowners who have fallen out over rights of, of access through a property and you're all you're trying to do is make sure there's rights for other people to walk through their property but you end up being a negotiator um, so it's a, it's a whole host of different jobs and like I said to you I could spend 30 minutes describing what my job is but I'm sure the, the, the listeners don't really want to listen too much to that either um, I'm in the job uh, I, I moved from Wicklow to Leitrim a number of years ago um, and I'm in the job over five years now and it still takes me about 20 minutes to describe what I do especially when you're in a pub and someone asks what you do um, <laughs> it takes it takes a while <laughs> I do my best to yeah. summarize it and that's probably the quickest way I've summarized it there for you and sure I've, I, I've known you for how many weeks and months now and I still don't know fully what you do like there's just so many things that you do that like it, it takes that that long to no, it's, it's a great like, role. It's very, it's very diverse. Like you know, you're always at something yeah. different. You're all like on on Friday, I, I spent a, a, the day kayaking with a group of paddlers, um, to to figure out if we can create a canoe trail in North Leitrim. Um, this morning I was on the side of a, a hill, making sure that work that was done by a local contractor, a digger driver, uh, was up to spec for walking trails. Um, tomorrow I'm in a talk with a community group about developing a playground in a woodland area. So there's always something different going on. You're just doing your best to keep everyone uh, coming along with you, with your enthusiasm and, and you're trying to encourage everyone that what you're doing is the right, right thing for everyone. And <clears throat> one of the things that we got talking about uh, at the, on that trip was around trail development. So, there's a lot. There's a lot of things that have to be taken into consideration with trail development, as in, like, okay, there's the there's the, the negotiations with the landowners and all that kind of stuff. That uh, that is a, a a minefield in in and of itself. But when it comes to looking after the land and making sure that that, say the 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 flora and fauna around us are are there's minimal impact on that that the the actual uh, the erosion of the trail there's minimal impact on that like what are some of the things that you need to take into account when you're deciding where a trail goes yeah um tra- trail work in, in ireland in an irish context um you know you you probably have listeners from around the world listening to your podcast but from an irish context the, the big issue with trail development in Ireland isn't really walkers impact, but it's water impact. We, we have a lot and off a lot of water that falls in Ireland. And when you create a, a solid surface for people to walk on, you're essentially creating a riverbed. And if you don't have the skill set to manage uh, manage the water that travels onto that and get it to shed correctly, you, you, be, you have created something that's going to cut into the land. Um, a lot of the trails that I actually develop and, and I develop with national parks and, and, and clearly and, and on private properties, we don't build the trails really for the protection of walkers or the comfort of walkers. We build them for the protection of the land. Um, if you let people, uh, if you let the masses walk over one piece of land, especially our, our soft peatlands or uplands in our in an Ireland area, um, they'll erode away the the peatland um, down to the to the bedrock. And they'll kill, you know, not by any 
you know, for, not by anyone's intentions, but just by the sheer numbers being allowed to scatter about. Um, and they'll kill the vegetation that's there by, by accident, by treading on it, by avoiding the, the muddy parts. Um, and, and that's kind of killing the golden goose. You know, people are going there to get close to nature. And if we don't create these robust trail infrastructures for people to, to tread across, then that's going to have a negative effect on, on what's available for people. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of energy and a lot of thought that goes into trails, um, it, and some of the best trails in the world, all over the world, looked like they've been there for a long time. And it actually takes an awful lot of work to make a trail look natural. It's very easy to build a you know a, a cheap trail made out of you know concrete or, or plastic and and just put it straight through a, a, a piece of of, um, of nature. But most people don't see that as, as they, they see this kind of an invasion of humans into these natural habitats. Um, we're creating robust trails out of, out of stone or, or, or sensitive material or, or more robust materials. Um, takes a little bit of finesse, takes a lot of work, takes a lot of mistakes. You know, we're always making mistakes and we have to come back and try to rebuild them. Um, and we um, and these big weather events as well. Like, you know, you know, traditionally in Ireland, we would have rain for a lot of the year, but it'd be very soft rain or dry rain, as we would call it um but now we're getting more dumps we're getting all of a sudden we're getting two months worth of rain falling in the space of a few hours um and that's and that's our our, our how we've been designing trails in the past now have to become even more robust and more uh mm. more defenses put in place to protect the trails that are protecting the the the, the, the our, our natural environments so it there is a there is a lot in it. It's it's not a straightforward thing. Yeah. It's and, and certainly I'm learning all the time as well. And that's why I went to Skiatos uh, for that national trails conference was to speak with other trail providers around the world and see if there's common issues going on. And and, and I was pleasantly surprised uh, to speak to so many people from from even countries I would have thought wouldn't be dealing with these issues like Portugal. I would have thought Portugal's very dry, very very simple place to be building trails, but. I had very long conversations with um, with trail developers there, uh, volunteer trail developers, about the issues they're having with water management. Um, so, you know, there is common threads everywhere. And so, uh, kind of thinking around the the explosion of the outdoors in, uh, industry and uh, hiking in general, it's gotten so, obviously, so much popular, much more popular over the last couple of years. And then deciding where to put a trail, because I guess the 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 the, the tradition of hill walking and and navigating and stuff like that, they 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 tend to be you know not not to say like, let's stay away from the trails because that's you know we don't want to go where everybody else goes, but you know the the idea of hill walking is to be familiar with the land, be able to use a map and compass, and be able to navigate around there. But obviously, like hill walking is not uh, that type of hill walking wouldn't be done by the masses. You know, you kind of get to a certain level of confidence to be able to to do that. But because of the explosion in the outdoors, there's more people going to these areas where people would would traditionally just hill walk and ramble through the hills. So when you're deciding on where to put those, where to prioritize, how, how do you come to that conclusion? I guess is what the point I'm getting at is how do you decide where to put a hiking trail? Well, 
a lot of the trails in Ireland uh, traditionally have been more local led. They've been from bottom up. It's not my decision to develop a trail. I'm too okay. busy to decide I'm going to put a trail this way. <laughs> it tends to be more a, community, you know, a, a community group comes together or an individual and says, listen, I have a great idea or I've been walking along here. I want to see a development. I want to see improve access facilities, car parking. I want to see toilets. I want to see you know, there's been an impact there. There's hundreds of people walking across this land and we're starting to see scarring in the land. And that's when people come to me and they seek advice. It's just, you know, if you think about yourself, who would you go to right now if you didn't know I existed? <laughs> who would you go to to seek professional advice on this? Um, and before I was in this role, I would have been, I would have never have known who to go to. I would have maybe gone to a local authority or maybe a hill walking club. But you know, who do you talk to about developing a public access trail? And you're right, your tradition of, of mountaineering in Ireland, there is a there is a big tradition of people just rambling across the hills without trails, following, doing their own navigation. And, and I do a lot of that myself and I love it. But the problem with that is, and over the last few years, is they they all start and finish at the same point. They all they all go to the same car park. They have to use the same toilets. They have to use, they all litter at the same point. And if we don't create, and they all they all enter onto the soft peatland at the exact same point. Um, Errigal Mountain being a, a prime example that was damaged for quite some time and has now been repaired, thankfully. But if, at the very start of that, the, this, the entry point was probably two hundred meters wide, you know, from from mm. um, and and the car park wasn't two hundred meters wide. It was just people were trying to avoid the muddy stretches and going around the muddy stretch. But by avoiding it, they're, stre- they're it's called trail creep. Where you know they're 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 impacting the soft uh, or the vegetation either side of the trail, and eventually it gets wider and wider and wider and wider. Um, for anyone who's ever been up Crow Patrick, there's another example of, of trail creep where it's just you know people just spread out <laughs> to avoid the damage. Thankfully, again, all the local authorities in their, these areas are trying to they're tackling the issue now. They're not ignoring it anymore because they they know that that the tourism side of of trails. Um, it's so impactful to the local economy that you know there, it's it. There's so much evidence out there to say uh, the slow tourism, getting people into an area and getting them to stay into an area, has far more value than than our bus bus tourists. You know, people just busing along the west coast, getting a picture for half an hour at all the hotspots and moving on again. There's no there's no impact there to the local economy. Um, so there, you know this this idea of slow tourism, slow adventure, soft adventure, whatever term you want to put on it, um, but having people staying an area uh, longer means that there's more more chance of money being spent in an area uh, more spin-off yeah yeah look, geez I, I could definitely yarn with you for hours about this you know i think the 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 perception is that hikers don't necessarily come with a lot of money but uh when you think about how long they spend in an area that you know someone coming on a bus might drop you know x amount of money on a gift but then that, that hiker might stay in that area or stay in that that the local economy for much longer and buy food in the shop stay in a hostel stay in a b&b you know there's a lot more uh kind of in, investment from them over uh, you know maybe a smaller amount but over a longer period of time but uh, anyway we could we could probably chat about that all day we, we all um, need to eat and we all need to poop so <laughs> exactly yeah. And, and that's yeah. reality. And we're willing where, to pay for if both. We can, if we can provide a, a service for those sort of things, people will, will will buy it. Yeah, yeah. And we're, as I said, we're we're willing to pay for both. Um, <laughs> so uh, what happens a lot with 
between Irish guests and UK guests here. I, I just tend to be this person where I always compare the difference between uh, hiking in Ireland and hiking in the UK. And hiking in the US definitely comes up in, in, in Europe and in, in Australia and pretty much everywhere else in the world. But given that we're both from Ireland uh, and the uh, UK is our nearest, nearest neighbour, there's a lot of differences between like how we roam and how we walk in in both countries and uh, obviously uk is very famous thing that happened back in the early 1900s uh, it, it's the, the the right to roam um which has paved the way for their, their footpaths and, the, and the, these these national trails that they have are there and, and obviously up in scotland they have complete right to ro- right to roam so you can go wherever you bloody want but in ireland it's it's not like that um and I know we spoke in Skiatos about this, but do you want to talk a little bit about that? About like what, what, what is it? What are the rules in Ireland around rambling and roaming through the land? Yeah. So again, I think we 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 could spend an awful lot more than than the the, the time we've allocated to this today uh, about talking about this. But in Ireland, there is no right to roam. Uh, there's certainly a lot of talk amongst a lot of people. A lot of groups are are very keen to establish a right to roam in Ireland um, the issue is that the stems really about it is the, the right of the landowner is uh, is written into our constitution um, primarily because Ireland is still a relatively young country we we, we, we were established during world wars uh, in, in you know in the early 1900s when a time after a period of four to five hundred years of being essentially um, colonialized from uh, Great Britain, and 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 having landlords and lordship and stuff like that. So when we got our own independence, we wrote into our constitution that the right of the landowner is second to none. Um, and in order for us to to get a right to roam in this country, we would have to go for a public referendum. We'd have to, you know, every every person in the country would have to vote on it. Um, whether they want uh, some sort of right to roam to change our constitution around landowners' rights, which is going to be very difficult. Um, you know, we, we, we argue over all sorts of things in this country. Um, I'm not to say it, it would never happen, but certainly our approach tends to be more on the permissive access approach, uh, dealing with landowners on a one-to-one level, getting, to them, getting them to trust you and, and building relationship with them that you're not there to steal their land. You're not there to, you know, to to do damage or anything like that all you're trying to do is, is gain access for for the public um so they can enjoy their recreation or local recreation and we do have spectacular landowners in this country you know farmers and 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 non-farmers who are landowners um uh, who, for recreational areas and they do provide amazing access um so that's a lot of what what my job is 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 engaging with those landowners engaging with new landowners and existing landowners to ensure that they're uh they're, they're, that they don't feel exposed, they don't feel exposed to any litigation or any insurance problems. That their that their issues around um, visitors are being uh, rec- uh, being met and co- are, their concerns are being addressed uh, as such. You know, um, and they have many multiple concerns. You know, a lot of it is around insurance. Uh, no one wants to feel that they're going to be dragged into a courtroom to defend themselves because someone slipped or tripped on their land walking up to, to see a beautiful sunset or something. Um, equally, landowners, a lot of our landowners in these recreational areas are farmers, and their livelihood is their their livestock. 
um, you know, and if, if they feel their livestock is threatened under any way or form, they will not let people in. Um, and we and in Ireland, it's interesting because we actually have one of the highest percentage of dog ownerships in Europe. Um, most people most people don't realize that. In, in, in but most households, uh, not most households, I think it's I think it's in the high fifty percent of Irish households would have a dog in some way or form. Uh, Forty to fifty percent, I think it is. Um, but the when compared to the UK, it might be I think it's around thirty percent. So the why it's why that's important is like a lot of households would would see their dog as a member of their family like they'd see it as, as i would see my son you know and and like that i want to bring my son hill walking i want to bring him canoeing and i want to bring him surfing and i want to do all these things with him. and people see their their dogs as as that and i get that i totally get that he's a family member you, you know you, you look after him you feed him you know you, you, you have games and fun with him but if you're bringing dogs into these recreational areas and the landowner has said no to you know you're essentially risking access to these these areas for everyone um, and one of my biggest concerns I, I probably get a phone call every two to three days about a dog issue uh, just people bringing dogs into areas There's, dogs may not have attacked anyone or done or even chased sheep or anything like that but the fact that they're bringing them into areas where there's clear signs that say no dogs they're risking access for everyone else and I, I, I know and I know there's like you, you type in dog walker and Instagram you get every second image is a dog on a mountain, <laughs> you know, like you know, people bringing dogs into these areas. And it, it is a very difficult uh, scenario. And again, that's very different to other countries where they tend to be more accepted. But um, I, I don't know what the answer is. It's very, it, you know, we, I, I can't come up with a magic stick that just sorts this, this problem out. If I could, my job would be very easy. Yeah. You're it's, I guess there's a little bit of human nature that you want to, you just, you'll kind of suit yourself. You know, as you said, these are members of the family and people will just want it. Like I know myself, I, if I rock up to a trailhead, you know, a car park, I get out of the car, I have my dog. I don't have a dog, but if I had a dog, I probably would be like, uh, read a sign and says no dogs allowed. And I probably would consider it. I go, I might be all right. You know, I'm speaking for the general. I wouldn't actually do this myself. Just FYI. But, I, uh, you know, generally people would consider it and there would be, you know, a chance that they will go and chance that they won't go. And then, you know, you get into those types of circumstances all the time. The amount of times that I've been out walking in the hills uh, and there's clearly signs up around saying, like, no dogs allowed, livestock. And it's I think we spoke about this before. It's it's not even just the, the livestock as well. Like there's the there's the safety of that dog itself because there's there could potentially up on the mountainside there could be carcasses you know of of, of dead sheep that could be poisonous um well, to the dog. well equally the landowner has a right to shoot the dog if they feel their animal their their livestock is under any threat you know even if the dog's on the lead they can still shoot. like and there's been a number of very uh very questionable cases in this country where dogs have been shot very close to the owner within a few feet of the owner, uh, you know, by landowners. So it's, it's been, um, you know, and that's very divisive and, and no one and dog owners and dog lovers don't like that either. And they, and, and they tend to be nature lovers. They tend to be, you know, they want to go up and they, they understand that, but they don't actually recognize that in our upland areas, or I'd say, I, not that they don't all recognize it, but I see a lot of them that don't recognize there. It's not just about the sheep or the cattle in our, in these upland areas. A lot of our native nesting birds are ground nesting birds. 
and your dog mm. will disturb the ground nesting very easily. Like the grouse, they run away and they won't come back to their nest if they feel threatened. And so there's 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 a generation of grouse that won't, you know, um, be be hatched. So you essentially you're knocking you're having a knock on effect to the wildlife that you're trying to go out and discover and and be close to, <laughs> um, without even realizing. You know, so it's it is it is a shame, and it's one of those questions that comes up all the time, and it's very deflating. And I do my best to you know to try to reassure landowners and things like that. And and we do a lot of education piece. I do a lot of time just sitting at a gate on weekends, <laughs> just telling people, please don't bring the dog. And and you know you get you get a lot of a get a lot of abuse for it, but all you're trying to do is protect protect the public access in the long run. You know, it's not um it's not anything personal to a dog. You know. I think that's that's one thing you should do is do a call out for volunteers just to do exactly that. Sit at the gate and just tell people because the, the the answer to this is not easy. Like like we like we obviously in our in the hiker app like we list trails and we have a tag saying there's no dogs allowed in this trail, uh, and that pre- predominantly in most Irish trails that is the case unless it's on Quilcher land, um, dog ha- has to be on a leash. But in most uh, upland trails or even lowland trails, they they have to, they they're not allowed at all uh, yeah. on those trails. So yeah, no, it, it can get it can get very disheartening, and, and you know we can go on about this for quite some time. But I'm I'm sure your yeah your listeners have heard enough about this conversation over and over again. Well, yeah, it, it, it but it is it, 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 I think it as you said like almost fifty percent or more than fifty percent have a dog, so it's. It is important to kind of hammer home the fact that, you know, we have to take these things seriously because, as you said, it could potentially be the life or death of, of that dog or the life or death of other wildlife, livestock and, and the migration of, 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 uh, of grouse and other uh, ground dwelling birds. You know, there's so many different impacts that come from it. So Hurry, you know, even the life if you're bored, I don't even care. Listen. <laughs> Even the life of death of the trail, like you know, it doesn't even have to be an yes. instance for the landowner to go. You know what? I've had enough of this. Uh, too many people are taking yeah. advantage of my, of my goodwill, and I'm going to take it away. And we, we see it all over the country, time and time again. There's trails constantly opening and closing, um, in every county. It's it, you know it's 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 almost the the if you look at any of the Facebook conversations, the the, the, the those platforms, the, the treads. Nearly every week, there's a trail somewhere in the country that's closed down, and a lot of it's associated with just poor behaviour of visitors. Mm. So, and one of the reasons, one sorry, one of the 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 big topics that uh, was brought up at the Skiatos event was was your talk, uh, certainly in the hiker office, anyway. Which which uh, it it to- it totally took us off guard. I think the 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 theme of the event was about uh, about trails, the future of trails, climate change, and all that kind of stuff. And that your talk definitely tapped into it, but in a way that nobody nobody really expected. Um, do you wanna do you wanna give us your abbreviated version of the of the talk? Yeah. So um, the whole week I was referred to as the sheep wool guy. Uh, which was a very unusual way to be referred to from an international cohort of maybe 200 people, but everyone referred to me as a sheep wool guy. Um, and what we've been doing here in Leitrim is we're utilising sheep wool as a foundation for trails. Um, and I'm working with a group called Mountain Metal, which is a volunteer group. They have five branches around the country. And they volunteer every, every two weeks. These group of volunteers go out into the Irish countryside and they build and repair trails. And here in North Leitrim, we use utilize their 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 support 
to build a, to use a 2000 year old Celtic and Roman technique um, for road building to build a trail through a, a bog land. And how it works is the wool, you, you use the wool as the foundation and the wool protects the, the, the stone that you place on top of it from sinking into the bog. Because if you were to place, place stone just straight onto a bog, it will sink over time and the bog will eventually just eat it up. So the, bull, the wool acts as a, a, a natural membrane. The alternative is that it's used a plastic membrane, but that's made in China and shipped around the world. And, you know, in, in, the, in an era of us trying to be more sustainable, um, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's not it's the done thing. And it always tends to find its way to the surface as well. So when you're out hill walking and you see a sheet of plastic, you go, oh, that's very unsightly. But if you see some wool floating up, you go, ah, it must have been a dead sheep or something nearby. Or you know, no, yeah. one, no one bats an eyelid. Um, but it's supposed to be a dog well. around here eating the sheep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so it's no, it's it's been a great, great project. It's something that I've been trying to do for a number of years. Uh, our our colleagues in Scotland, our you know our trail builders in Scotland, have been doing it for a lot for since the eighties and nineties. But in an Irish context, we could I couldn't find an example of it really. Um, the Morns had done it in two thousand and eighteen, two thousand nineteen, but it, it was on a very small scale. So I um. I enlisted this group of volunteers and I said, listen, we're going to do something a little bit weird, a little bit strange here. And um, it went really well. And, you know, we, 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 we've, we've built, I think, almost 300 metres to date of a, of a sheep wool trail on the Leitrim Way near Manor Hamilton. And if anyone is in the area and wants to come up and check it out, I'm happy to come and showcase what we've done. Um, uh, yeah, but it was, it was, it was very interesting. I, I remember in Skatos there was a guy who ran up to me after the presentation and he goes, you have fixed a problem that I've been dealing with for two years. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yes, <laughs> right. Great. Um, but no, it's, it's spectacular. It, it, wool, it, it, is, wool is worthless at the moment. You, you can, a lot of farmers are, yes. are burning it. They're, they can't get rid of it in, our, in an Irish context. Um, they, they, you know, so when we, when we approach the, the land, the nearby landowner, whose who sheep are grazing the land that we're, we're building the trail on, um, and we said we'd like to buy the wool off. I'm sure he was over the moon. He was like, "This is great," and he was proud as punch. Um, when we when we started working on it, and he brought up his family, and he was like, "Look, this is our wool now," and you know, there's a sense of pride in it there. Like, this, I was just going to ask about that as well because it's it's not it's not just ecological, but it's economical as well because you're you're reusing this this produce that before it would have been quite valuable to, to the landowner and now they're just trying to get rid of it and it, they're probably spending money to get rid of it as well because you had to, to burn the bloody stuff uh so i can't think of a, a more irish thing than building trails out of animals that graze on the land where you're building the trail it's just the most irish thing in the world well it, it's it's you know it's it's a tried and tested product um and it's uh, interesting enough, after we started this project, um, we were speaking to some local residents and some of that, and some local farmers who were, who were curious about it. And one of them explained to me that his godfather, his grandfather, uh, built the local railway um, that's now mm. no, no longer in existence, but the the railway was there, and they used sheep wool on the foundations of all the bridges um, because they were building it over boglands. So um, it wasn't that long ago; it was you know two, three generations ago that this was common knowledge and it was just lost as, as common knowledge when we started getting to more easier materials to use with when plastic became a much more comfortable material to work with than sheep wool. Sheep wool is aggressive to the skin and it's, you know, it's itchy and all that sort of stuff. But, um, and, and, you know, so naturally as humans, we tend to go with the, what's easier as opposed to what's smarter. 
Um, but no, and at the time when that when that when those railways were being built, the wool would have been at its prime cost. Like you know, it would have been like burying gold into the ground. Um, you know, <laughs> it would have would have made any sense to to do it. So it's amazing to see how 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 these skills can get lost and then be rediscovered again. Um, and do you see that being up, uh, you know, looked at by other councils? Because you, obviously you're looking out to the Leitrim region. Are you? Is there anyone, any of your colleagues around the country? Are they looking at this as as, as a potential solution? Yeah. So there's um, there's about twenty of us rural recreation officers around the country, and like that, we share knowledge constantly. We're always on the phone to each other, always sharing information, and they are all deeply interested in this. Now it is a very a uh, unique product that will only work in peatlands, so uh, our upland peats are our blanket bogs or our raised bogs. Um, but we've had we've had interest. We've had, I had uh, not only did I have interest from community groups from around Ireland asking, can they come and see it and learn about it? But I had farmers from Kerry and Cork ringing me, offering to bring up sheep wool because they had nothing to do with it. <laughs> they were like, I I can't get rid of this stuff. So <laughs> would you like to take it? And I was like, No, we're fine. We're sorted for wool. Thank you. But it was interesting, like, you know, there was there was interest all over the country of, of people uh, finding out about it and wanting to do it. Uh, we are, I am involved with another project next year um, in, in South Leitrim where we're going to replicate it again for another piece um, and, and take the learnings that we took from the first thing. Because it was very much a pilot, uh, you know, experience. We were, we were learning as we were building uh, what works and what doesn't work, um, what, how much wool to pack in and how much stone to use and stuff. But everything was done by hand. And it was all cut by hand by the volunteers, and and thankfully because they they'd done it that way, um, the trail looks like it's been there for years. Like the grass has regrown already, and and the headers retaking, and and um, you know it's it's gorgeous. Yeah, I've seen some of the photos you've been putting up on on Instagram. Anyway, the 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 autumn colours are coming in now. So that that corner of Ireland is just it is spectacular. It is just it it's very much idyllic. Uh, Irish countryside. So anybody listens to this and you're planning a trip over to Ireland, do get yourself up to Leitrim and, and check out the uh, the the circular economy trails of of Leitrim uh, Development Company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, good stuff. Um, it is fascinating to see. Like I've been involved in the development of Leitrim Way um, for the last number of years, and and you know I've come from from a hill walking background. Like you know, I, I and that's how I view a lot of our trail development. But Leitrim Way, it's it's fifty six kilometers long, and and this summer we had trail runners uh, discover it out mm-hmm. of nowhere, and I you know and they just they just took to it, and they, they they everyone that's done it they've seen to say oh it's a perfect length for running, you know it's a it's a full day challenge, yes. you know they've done it in six or eight hours, and I'm looking at them going are you mad? Are you running six you're running for six hours straight? Uh, I think they're nuts, but it's fat it's it's great to see, even though the trail wasn't originally designed in that way it's great to see other users embrace it and take it on you know um i, I I'm, I'm fascinated by that yeah well as, as one of those lunatics myself it is it is it's, it's exploded over the last couple of years and uh find, uh, finding new i suppose challenges like these these trails are opportunities for for people you know if it's a new trail it's a new opportunity it's a new challenge for for someone to take on i believe you were the one that put up the post on the leitrim way to say hey there's been no no fastest known time set on this trail does anyone want to take it up and uh, a mutual friend uh uh ellie 
uh, of Tough Souls, who was actually on this uh, podcast previously. She went out and she set the original FKT, uh, which was subsequently bet, bet by a professional oh, yeah. not, ultra runner. Not, not only bet, <laughs> it was destroyed. I think her time was about 12 hours, and then the, the most yeah. recent time was 4.50, 4 hours 50 or something like that. I was like, that's 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 disgusting. Her time, that's disgusting. You know? That's disgustingly fast. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, is it Ricky? Ricky Wynn was the most recent. Ricky one? Wynn is the he. Uh, he's not the most recent to do it, but he he's the most the fastest time. Um, but yeah, we he, it took him a few attempts. He he kept kept getting lost. <laughs> now, um, uh, I I I was taking great feedback in that sense because I was like, oh, you got lost here, okay, and I'll I'll fix that. But he um when I went there, it was huge great big signs like you know turn left here and he completely ran past them in his state like i think if you're running 30 kilometer he'd run 30 kilometers that stage your brain is just not even thinking you know just straight past yeah um, and the speed that he's he's going as well it's, it's really easy to, to to miss the turn yeah um, yeah. i need but to get no, the hiker app in his hands then <laughs> yeah yeah he needs to get the hiker app for sure um but no, it's great, like like that, and it helps us improve the trail, and and helps, and, and certainly shapes my mind when I'm designing trails as well. What other users are going to be using this as opposed to a traditional walker who might be slowly moving to through the countryside? Um, you know, mm-hmm. it's starting to really make me have to reevaluate how, like, where we're putting styles, why are we putting styles? You know, um, things like that. Can we put a gate here? Would a runner be happier with a gate? Would a hiker be happier with a gate? um you know those mm-hmm. sort of things always yeah. always considering what what's the best solution yeah yeah the user always has to kind of come first uh and but but nowadays the 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 range of users is is quite vast so obviously you can only you can only do so much but trying to be as as open and willing considering that these people could potentially be coming to do these challenges or to bring in you know, uh, a whole new demographic of, of users as well, you know, mountain bikers or or uh, horseback riders or whatever, you know, there, there, might, there might be opportunities there to, to bring those people in. Um, before we go, we're going to wrap it up now, but I just wanted to know about, I suppose, more about you and like some of the things, the, the trips that you've been on, and we could probably talk all day about this as well, but is there any, any big trips or I suppose something that kind of, Flick the switch for you that was like this is the life for me i want to spend my my days in the outdoors uh well i, I was very fortunate that i i i uh i got into scouts when i was quite a young young lad and that um like that as a you know when you're 12 13 14 and you're doing all sorts of different things you're doing football and karate and basketball and swimming and you're doing everything that you're you know like like you know my parents are great they sent me to all different things and I went and tried scouts and I remember I was in scouts for about four weeks and they said, oh, we're going for a walk in Wicklow. And I was like, okay, I'd never even heard of Wicklow before that. <laughs> I didn't even know what, I was like, yeah, that's grand. And I spent the first, we arrived at eight o'clock at night on, a, on an autumn, on a October night in Wicklow. Uh, so it was pitch black, had to walk across a river to get to our campsite. Uh, I don't even know where I was. Uh, I was probably 14 at the time um, or 13, around about that age. And I remember... Uh, setting up a tent, pissing rain, windy, climbed in, opened up my pot noodles, pour in some hot water, and I've gone, this is actually great fun. <laughs> this is actually like this. <laughs> and, and I got home, and everyone else that went with me was miserable, never wanted to come again. Like, you know, and I was like, that was the best fun 
ever. Like, you know, I, I was wet for three days solid. We got lost in the mountains. We, we you know, we watched We saw deer. We saw falcons. We saw all sorts of things. Like, this is the life for me. Uh, and I never really looked back after that. You know, just, just stuck with it then. Just kept trying to find different things that were interesting. And, um, you know, I, I went and done a, a degree in outdoor education uh, through GMIT in, in Mayo. And, um, and like that, I... I went with the desire for hill walking. That was my desire. And I was totally hooked on hill walking. I'm going to walk around the world. And then two weeks into the course, I'd done surfing, sailing, rock climbing, kayaking. I was like, no one ever told me about these sports. Where have these been all my life? You know, this is <laughs> a uh, you know, mad young man from the middle of Ireland where football is, is king. And, and if you do anything else, you're considered an alien. Um, so, yeah, no, that's, that's my love for, for doing as much different things uh, in the outdoors started young and, and has continued ever ever since that's great no it's it's, it's the it's was the the idyllic kind of storyline of of people of getting into the outdoors and i think it is so important for people to spend time in the outdoors at such an early age and in the last last interview that i did in the last podcast with um with amy cooper uh, she's a, a mother based in, in the in colorado and She's an advocate, complete advocate for that. You know, spending time in the outdoors at an early age will get that kind of hope. You know, get that spark and like showing him what you can enjoy it. And I suppose you were lucky enough to to enjoy the type two fun on your own, uh, whereas a lot of other people might just look at that and kind of go, "Nah, that's not for me." You know, I, I'd rather be warm um, than than be in the outdoors. Um, but Brian, it's been an absolute pleasure as always having a chat. Uh, always enjoy our our yarns together and um, we'll we'll definitely have to go on a hike very very soon i am we're only just down the road and i've relatives in in Leitrim, so I'm, I'm well overdue a visit so we'll come up and and maybe maybe i will try the fkt in, in on the Leitrim way uh has anyone done, done the the out and back yet out and back as in like run 56 and then come back again yeah Is has it? anyone done that yet no not to, not to my knowledge um okay that's that, what's that that's my goal it's gonna be now kilometers? now it's gonna it's it's gonna it's gonna be like 25 hours or something like that but i'm gonna do it I, that that's i'm gonna uh pick my colors to the post here and that's that's what i'm i'm aiming for best of luck with that <laughs> <laughs> all right uh well brian as i said pleasure talking to you and we'll we'll, we'll chat soon no problem all the best so much to brian for sharing your insight into the world of trail development i honestly think that sheep wool trails are fascinating and they are the future so if there's any trail developers out there there's a few farmers in the southwest of ireland that are trying to shift some excess wool that's it for this week thanks for listening we'll be back next week with another show until then happy trails happy trails